Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way toward the better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Design the Future podcast. It's good to be with you. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah, here we are. It's a new year. I guess that's like the big thing, right? I, I, I know that it's not the new year by the time you're all listening, but I'm feeling it. <laughs> it's still the new. It'll still be the new year. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going to feel like 2023, I'm sure. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. How are you, Kara? How's the transition going for you? Very well, actually. I feel like I've had a smooth on-ramp into the new year. I mean, things are already picking up, but that was to be expected. And I had a nice holiday break. I got to do a lot of reading, um, including things that I had set aside or never really gotten had the time to get into. And that was really great. So a couple of great books over the holidays. Yay, that's wonderful. Yeah, I had a similarly good holiday, but I've been really hesitating to tell people that in case they were one of the many millions of people that was like caught in the (laughs) Southwest travel debacle or whatever it was. Uh, But yeah, I feel like I I don't know if it's if I have resisted. or I guess I have, I've always thought that it was impossible for me to not travel during the holidays just because of like my, you know, um, magnetic family dynamic, I guess maybe <laughs> the nice way of putting it. Um, and we didn't travel this year for the holidays and I, it's, it's delightful if anyone's considering trying it uh, and hasn't before, I just want to encourage <laughs> that yep. possibility. Yep. It's yeah. a good thing. Um, I, did not travel myself. And you're right, I felt a little almost guilty kind of enjoying the (laughs) stasis as people were struggling with the airports and the weather and the things out there in the world, including all the various um, things going around. Everybody's been sick with so many different things. I'm just, I'm hungering in my house reading. (laughs) I know, it's true. I mean, that's obviously the other big factor that sounds like we we benefited from both of us is that we don't have small children who like and and all of the things that came along with everybody that I know with small children got sick in some way it's just like an inevitability so um we're here for you parents um good luck with these few months it's it's still a lot and I mean and I think that's been my my way of coming into 2023, there was a good article in the New York Times um, right around the new year talking about how like no one's really setting ambitious resolutions this year. It's a little bit more of a year where, at least for me, it's it's about just like, okay, um, <laughs> I think actually my colleague and I both resonated with the same line in this article that basically said, I just need 2023 to come in and sit down at the table and shut up and like not make just not not destroy anything. <laughs> I love that. I have not a great line. That. Yeah. That's a great that is a terrific um image. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean I'm I'm excited for it. There was also a really great piece in the in the New Yorker, Bill McKibben, um, if, if those of you that may follow his his uh, regular uh, um, pieces in the New Yorker about how this should be a really big and important year for those of us working specifically on climate because of the Infl- Inflation Reduction Act 
funds that are kind of, you know, should be yep. coming down. The, the, um, and and it's uh, it's a great article. I would check it out. There's a lot of stuff about buildings in there. Um, but it also kind of emphasizes that there's a lot of people, a lot of, you know, people in my life who are feeling this pressure that this is this year where we've been given funding and now we have to do the things and we have to do them at an incredible scale that kind of boggles the mind. So also yeah. here for you, everyone that's feeling the pressure of having received IRA funds or is there to try to make sure that they get put out um, in, in, in ways that are most impactful or just yeah. generally, you know, like it's absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's well, I have to say, I'm also really hoping, and this might just be where I am sort of personally, because I'm some of my volunteer efforts are going to be shifting, and I'm really looking towards um, the possibility of some more writing and things soon. But I am, I am really hopeful that we're going to see, it's actually probably just because I read, finally read Flourish by Sarah Ishioka mm -hmm. and Michael Paul, and, and I really feel like it's going to be time for us to see the manifestation of some of the system reorganization about especially around you know how we're valuing things and the economics of things I mean I know this is sounds incredibly mm -hmm. optimistic I'm just listening to myself <laughs> thinking you sound terribly terribly optimistic but I am <laughs> I guess we should be optimistic in January so yes we should <laughs> we should and yes hard things are possible uh and necessary, in fact, for us to deal with the problems we face. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, I, that's really what the book made me optimistic about, um, because it drew on so many things that I have considered always to be touch points, like old things like Danella Meadows leverage points, of course, mm -hmm. and Janine Benyus and biomimicry and donut economics and all these things, but really also crystallizes how the design and built environment community and all the industries that are involved with those communities can shape our sense of what is possible. You know, there's really so much potential there. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, I love that. Okay, well, I'll add that to my list. I can't say that I'm getting through a ton of books these days, but I will nonetheless uh, include it in my queue. Um and, you know, honestly, it's probably a great way to transition to our guest for today, because when it comes to doing hard things and uh, thinking outside the box, I think we've got a lot to learn from our guest for today, Rochelle Routman. Thank you so much for being here, Rochelle, and welcome to the podcast. It's a real pleasure. I'm so appreciative of being invited to join you. Thank you. Well, we are thrilled that you're here, Rochelle, and I'm going to start with a brief introdu introduction and then we'll jump into some questions. Um, Rochelle is the Chief Sustainability and Impact Officer of HMTX Industries, which is a manufacturer of resilient flooring. And her work in transparency in the building products industry has resulted in greater openness around product ingredients and also social justice issues. Her most recent endeavor at HMTX is ESG reporting with a focus on impact. Uh, Rochelle won the Women in Sustainability Leadership Award in 2014 and established that awards alumni group a few years later, and it was established as a nonprofit in 2021 under her leadership. She's now president and chair of the board, and we'll hear more about that group a little bit later. But first, Rochelle, I hope that you could start by telling us about how and why you got involved in corporate sustainability. What has been your path? Well, you know, really, this started from a very early age. Um, in fact, my first memory in life was looking up and seeing the sun shining through the trees. So I was always very, very aware of, you know, the natural world. 
And I basically spent my childhood growing up outside, which I think it's sad. A lot of kids don't get to experience that these days. And I decided to pursue geology in my undergraduate education. And this has been very helpful to me because, of course, it encompasses so many aspects of the earth, such as climate change, um, you know, how the eradication of so many species has come about so much more quickly since humans, you know, eventually occupied the earth, how we've seen so many other changes with um, materials that have become waste products that have contaminated our environment. So I've just been keenly aware of all of this. I eventually uh, began my first job working in the public sector, and I was recruited to work for uh, private industry. And I felt like, wow, you know, the private industry, especially in the corporate world, there's so much more resources to make real change. And so I decided to stay there. And I've worked in, in many different industries, including the electric utility world, um, you know, also very, very challenging envi work environment. And, you know, also I worked in aerospace and eventually found my way into the flooring industry. Uh, I, I started in the flooring industry in 2012 and I've worked for two different companies and that's where I am now. Rochelle, that's really great. I love the diversity of that, that all of those, um, I mean, starting with geology too, that's a terrific background. Um, but I know that many people who are interested in corporate sustainability are also unsure about sort of like what it takes to make that um, really successful and what they, you know, what, what kinds of things they should bring to that. So I wonder if you could maybe share a little bit about those who might be considering that kind of pathway, whether they're coming to it mid-career or, or earlier on, what should they be good at and interested in? Yeah, well, I think a basic passion for the environment or for social justice. And by the way, I believe that those two things are essentially the same, because if you are not taking care of the environment, you're not taking care of people and vice versa. So, you know, that is really number one. You have to have a very strong interest, a passion to make the world a better place, concern for the environment, for other people. You know, you just have to be that kind of person. Um, I, I also believe that it would be helpful to have a basic um, knowledge and an interest in science so that you could understand things like you know, climate change, ocean plastics, things like this. It's it's hard to really have a full grasp on these topics if you know you you don't have a basic understanding of science. And you know, I'm sure both of you are aware of how you know. Unfortunately, there's a, there's a misunderstanding sometimes of science or a lack of um, understanding of how important it is. And we see more and more uh, people maybe losing interest in science, but you know, science actually affects every single aspect of our lives. So I, you know, I'm a proponent of this. Um, I do believe also of importance the ability to influence people. 
you know, those that decide upon a career in sustainability, um, and and by the way, this can be learned, <laughs> you know, you have to have a certain style of changing people's minds and helping them understand the importance of what this is all about. So those are those are two things that people need to be good at. And as I mentioned, you know, the passion is number one. A lot of the other um, skills can be learned later on. I, yeah, I mean, I love all of that. And I think there's something about like the personality um, that goes into this work that is really, I don't know, just kind of cr like critical um convincing people honestly i love i love thinking about how that's like a superpower that you have rochelle and i'm not surprised at all <laughs> um so i i you know we wanted to take like a quick little tangent to um to ask you about how your interest in sustainability has impacted your connection to your community and you know sort of like how does how does this professional landscape for you um, influence the, your personal life or the, the decisions that you make about, you know, things outside of work. Um, I, I, I know there's, I don't know, there's just a, a little bit that we know about you that we thought would be fun to share. So tell us about that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I do live what I believe. I'm very passionate about, sustainability. And certainly, uh, I have a very, very strong interest in um, animal rights and protecting habitat, and all of these things that um, really relate to helping preserve uh, natural forests and, and wild places, even in the middle of a city. And so while I was in, in graduate school at Georgia Tech studying public policy, which, by the way, really helped me learn how to communicate environmental topics to all sorts of diverse audiences, um, I discovered that there was a large piece of property in Atlanta in my neighborhood that uh, was under threat of um, being destroyed through development. And this is a 30 acre uh, piece of property. And I was very familiar with it as many people in the community would, would actually go on, you know, hikes through this land. And there were so many animals um, and all sorts of fascinating plants. And it was really one of the older forests that was still remaining in Atlanta. And so I had this harebrained idea that maybe I could somehow save this property and I'm glad that I was as naive as I was because at you know at the time I might not have <laughs> stepped into this, but I um, you know just started knocking on neighbors' doors and telling them that I had just discovered that a developer was in the process of purchasing this land, and people said, "Well, oh, you don't really think something could happen, do you?" But it is in my nature, by the way, <clears throat> to be. Um, a little bit wary. And so I said, yes, I do think something's going to happen. And I, you know, I gathered this group of neighbors, um, a really diverse group of people, everybody from the head of R&D at Coca-Cola to a guy who was a private investigator and a, and a bartender <laughs> on the side, by the way. Um, and we ended up in this huge battle uh, that lasted three years but we ended up saving this fabulous piece of property. It's now known as the Morningside Nature Preserve. And 
I would say that this is probably one of the biggest accomplishments thus far in in my really in my world. Mm, mm, that's so beautiful. And having grown up in Atlanta, I certainly know just how how you know. I mean, Atlanta is one of those cities that that the forests just kind of disappear one day, and the and a sub subdivision comes in. You know, it was really um, it is kind of the story. So so kudos. That's that's a huge accomplishment, and and also just a really lovely story about how we build connections. You know, in our communities from uh, doing work like this. Um, so yeah, that's that's wonderful. And moving to other things that you might be proud of accomplishing. I'm I'm happy to hear that that feels like a big win for you, but I know you've done a lot of other really impressive work. So our, our next question for you is about what you're most proud of accomplishing in your work life. Well, tell us a little bit about um, that, you know, all the professional stuff. Sure. Well, you know, when I ended up in the flooring industry, uh, of course, it was a completely different experience for me. And I realized the magnitude of the impact that flooring can have. And I also realized that there was something missing. Um, And the piece that was missing was transparency. And so there was very little that was being discussed at the time about sharing ingredients in the flooring products, even though uh, the customers wanted to see this. And part of this was because of the work that had been done at the International Living Future Institute and this new idea about declare labels. And I just can't tell you how, when I started learning about this, it just, you know, made a huge impression on me. And I, and then, you know, I talked to some of the customers in the design firms And they said, you know, we really would like to have this information, but nobody is willing to share it. So again, back to being an influencer, um, if you can imagine, you know, going to uh, the most senior executives that had been in the flooring industry, really probably their entire careers and showing up as sort of the new kid on the block and saying, I have this brilliant idea we should go ahead and tell our customers what are the ingredients in our products, (laughs) you know? And again, you know, that, that little bit of naivety helped me um, because, you know, they may have thought, well, this sounds like a really crazy idea, but after I talked to them about how I thought it was going to really be a huge financial win for the company to do this, they started listening much more carefully. And I worked very, very hard within the organization at the time I was with Mohawk to gain um, the approval to do this. And um, it really frustrated some of the uh, the other flooring companies, the competitors, and they just could not imagine what in the world was going on and why was, why, why was Mohawk starting to issue these declare labels? And it became such a big deal. And anyway, what came out of this was that, you know, the other companies started doing it. And then it spread to furniture companies and it spread to textile companies. And, you know, it was just such an exciting time to see this happen. And it really ended up resulting in great benefits, not just for the manufacturers, but for the customers 
as well. And so that was probably one of my biggest um, accomplishments was seeing that happen and being a leader in just stepping out. And, you know, I just thought it was the right thing to do. I didn't realize at the time that it was really that dramatic. Um, But what happened was a lot of the trade publications, uh, they wanted to interview me and learn about this and what was going on. And so, you know, that was kind of a big deal for, for me and for them because they were so curious about it. And I would say that word spread very quickly about you know, declare labels and, and of course the support of ILFI and transparency, it was all really part of the same discussion. And then eventually, of course, I wanted to pursue transparency, um, you know, through social justice. And this was another very unusual thought, but of course um, the International Living Future Institute also had their just label, which you know, I, I will admit that I my entree into the world of sustainability was through the environment, but later on, I developed a much stronger appreciation for the relationship between the environment and humanity. And so I became, I, I will have to say, obsessed with this idea of doing a just label. <laughs> and, you know, people that know me, I think they would agree that that was probably the correct term because once I get an idea in my head that something needs to be done, you know, I'll move mountains to make it happen. So anyway, um, I was eventually recruited to um, a the company where I am now, HMTX Industries, and uh, was interviewing with the owner of the company, Harlan Stone. And he was asking me, you know, what are you really interested in doing? And I said, well, I really want to work for a company that is willing to pursue a just label. And we talked about it. And he said, I want to do that, too. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, why don't you come here and support us in that? And anyway, this this became uh, such a strong differentiator for HMTX Industries. And also a very, very strong, um, I would say, advantage um, that came about for companies that do work overseas because HMTX Industries also became the first company to obtain a just label for operations in Asia. And so this was um, really groundbreaking work. And I always want to be on the leading edge of doing very exciting work that is making positive change. So Mm -hmm. that's what, you know, those are some of the things that I've been really excited about. And we are still working very hard on Just. And we were the first company to issue a Just label under the new version 2.0. And comparing that to the previous label that we did a few years ago, there's been many improvements. So this is just another example of how, um, you know, measuring and monitoring your operations, whatever they may be, can lead to improvements and usually does. Uh, These are all such great stories. And I also feel like (laughs) very lucky that you're 
that you're here talking about ILFI's programs in such a wonderful way. And I, I don't know, it's it's what drew me to ILFI in part is that, it, that you know, the organization has created tools for people like you that, as you said, want to always be at the leading edge. That's like, we got to we got to have an organization that supports um, that type of person out in the world. So it's really nice to hear um, all those stories. Thank you. And thank you for the work. I mean, it's yeah, transparency and supply chains. I feel like you are now getting to watch the rest of the world open their eyes to this. And it's uh, it's uh, um it's great. It's just great to hear. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing now, now that we have heard about how you've trailblazed in some of these other areas. I'm sure everyone's curious to hear like what's on your mind at this moment. What's your, what are your, what are the mountains you are climbing today? Yes. Great. And, and by the way, yeah, I'm really happy that ILFI was there when I needed them then and now. So thank you, Lindsay, for your leadership there. Um, yeah, so in terms of what I'm doing now, I am very involved in climate action, um, you know, understanding how we can make our operations eventually climate neutral. And that definitely leads into the ESG and impact work that I am doing for HMTX. Um, this has been very interesting for me because ESG has, um, you know, created more of a pathway for a more data centric way of viewing sustainability. And we never want to leave out that human element because that's what got us there in the first place. But it is very helpful because it eliminates um, opportunities for companies to greenwash uh, because it is so focused on on gathering data. And that's been a big effort at HMTX Industries. In fact, we will be issuing our first impact report, which will cover the year 2021. And we will be doing that the first quarter of this year. Um, we will be issuing our second one later on in the year in July, approximately, which will cover all of the data and the initiatives in 2022. So again, you know, I'm I'm working um, within an industry and within a company that is doing new and exciting things, and we we are taking this very very seriously. Uh, I we have an impact team that um, is a group of colleagues that I'm working on. We're a very diverse group. So we have uh, different perspectives in how to do this. Um, we've hired an excellent ESG. Um, she's a manager and she lives in Brooklyn. Her name is Maria Genova. She's been great in, in leading this for us. And I'm just expecting great things in terms of our impact program. And again, how it's going to improve uh, not just the um, operational aspects of the company, but our climate uh, efforts, as well as what the work we are doing in social justice that I mentioned previously, I, I expect that there will be even greater accomplishments there. And all the other aspects that we will be reporting on were really too numerous to mention, but for a first report, I expect that it will be quite comprehensive. Rochelle, I'm so looking forward to seeing those. And I really commend you for that. I mean, you know, 
you talked a lot about your efforts for transparency around the products, but just as important is transparency around the practices that you're undertaking. And it's so helpful, I think, to the industry and the movement um, to share those in those kinds of reports. So I'm really eager to see them. Obviously, I have a <laughs> bias towards that kind of communication because that's <laughs> the area that I work in. But I, I love hearing about that. And I really look forward to seeing both of those um, coming out. And I, I think it's a, it's it's just a real, it's a testament to the leadership that, you know, it's not just being responsible about what you're producing, but also all of the workings. And it's and it's just a great, I think it's a really powerful tool for the rest of the industry to, to understand better how different companies are doing these things and how they're putting it in the context of a thriving economic model, right? I mean, that's half the battle. We have to understand how how different companies are doing that. Um, but I wanted to, I, I do want to ask you about another thing that is um, probably going to be mentioned somewhere in there, but it's, we've been seeing a lot of news about your um, HMTX's new headquarters building. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that. Oh, definitely. This is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> so you know, we started on this project several years ago, and it has evolved over time in terms of what the concept is. Uh, but I will tell you that the main purpose <clears throat> of this fabulous building is to bring people together. And I'm speaking about artists, designers, sustainability professionals, um, all these people that have ideas in terms of how we can make the world a better place how we can create new technologies that will help get us there, how we can have better solutions in terms of, you know, even data monitoring, all these things. And we even have um, put in, in this building uh, four studio rooms, like little small hotel rooms for people to stay overnight. So, you know, maybe they can stay up late at night talking and they won't have to worry about going off site. And that inspires great conversation. So it's a beautiful building. Um, we expect to earn living building certification later on this year, maybe close to the end of the year. And um, it's four stories. So it's larger than most living buildings. Um, it's 23,000 square feet. And that was one of the first things that hit me when I first saw this building was, wow, this is a huge project. Um, the architect uh, is McLennan Design. So Jason McLennan, um, you know, his, his mark is felt throughout this entire building. And that's been really positive. Uh, I will say that the people that have experienced this building have been a part of this project we've all become very, very attached to it. Um, it is the greenest building in Connecticut. We just recently won two awards from the Connecticut Green Building Council, one for health and one for energy. And this is the very first time that the Connecticut Green Building Council has actually awarded two um, rec two awards to, for a single project. So that was a huge honor. And the other thing I want to mention is that, you know, because we love this building so much and we feel so close to it, we've given it a name and it's called the house up on the hill. <laughs> so I hope that gives you a little bit of a flavor of, you know, how exciting this is and how much enthusiasm there is for this building. 
And we also have had some great tours already, even some hard hat tours. And I would like the listeners to know that we are very open to hosting tours now that the building um, is getting you know closer and closer to completion. Rochelle, that's so exciting. And I really hope that I'll have a chance to see it in person. I love the name. Um, I think that's beautiful. Um, just, you know, a name that really evokes its site and its place like that is especially powerful, I think. Um, but I, I really look forward to seeing it. So congratulations on that. Um, and I want to shift gears just a little bit um, and ask you a sort of more macro question. Um, the green building industry is often thought of as a movement. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. And I wonder if you, how you feel about that. Do you feel like you're part of the industry, part of a movement, or or how do you think about that for yourself? Well, I definitely feel as though it is it is a movement and that I am part of that movement. And I'll go a step further. Um, I see sustainability as an activist career. And I view my career as activism. And I know that that term can be viewed as, you know, and some people see it as a negative term, but I see it as a positive term because to me, it means somebody that is taking action to do something that they believe in. And I have all along only done things that I have a sense of of belief and, you know, things that align with my own personal values. And, you know, oftentimes sustainability professionals have to be very strong leaders and lean in to making change within the organization in which they work. So, you know, for me, this all makes sense that you have to really believe in what you're doing. You have to believe in seeing change. But yet, on the other hand, you have to have a sense of diplomacy. Um, You have to do these things out of respect uh, for other people. Uh, you have to sometimes gently take people by the hand and carefully show them the way. And, you know, by and large, I, you know, I believe that I've been rather successful in accomplishing these things. You know, I think it takes a lot of, you know, emotional intelligence to be able to read people and figure out, well, where are they in this journey? You know, some people, there are some people within all organizations, when you talk about making a change, they want to be on the leading edge. You know, they're excited about it. There's a lot more people in the middle that want to learn more or understand more, or they don't quite get it. And then there are, there are people at the tail end, and you never can, you know, change their minds. So my focus has been really on... Um, finding a network of people that want to see change and then working with that network to bring most of the the bigger population, the people in the middle that just want to learn more and understand more and helping to open up their eyes and see the necessity in what you're trying to accomplish. Hmm. I love that. And I love this idea of like the finding of people. That's been my experience for sure. It's like a, a lot of the work that we do is finding people, figuring out where they are and bringing them along. <laughs> like, yeah. And I love this idea also of being an activist, Rochelle. I think that's really 
powerful and and just like great to hear from someone in a role like yours that that's how you see it and that you want everyone to know that that's not a bad thing so thank you for it <laughs> um, yeah and, and okay so so going from uh, this grounding that you have of the w- world that you are fighting for I wonder if you can tell us where you thought we would be in the year 2020 or you know in this decade as a movement in an industry, like how, how do you, how do you think, how close are we to the vision that you may have had? Well, I, you know, I have um, some degree of optimism, but I'm not, I'm, I'm also a realist. Uh, I would have hoped that we would have been further ahead with respect to climate change you know, it's now understood that we will probably not hit the Paris Agreement goals. And so now the focus has been shifted to understand, okay, how do we manage the climate crisis? How do we protect at-risk populations? You know, how do we build buildings and cities and communities to withstand climate catastrophes? You know, I don't think we've made as much progress as we need to. Um, I also don't think people really have an understanding of the crisis that we are in. You know, even though we've had so many severe storms and, you know, the loss of life and the billions of dollars of property and, you know, the human suffering that has, you know, has taken place, you know, I, I just am not sure that, that even with all that, that there's there's been enough action that's taken place to you know to try to solve this pro- this huge problem. Um, I'm also very concerned about. Um, I've mentioned a few times this issue with, um, you know, these rogue plastics. I'll call them that are in the environment, you know, in the ocean, and now they're throughout our bodies, and. You know, I truly believe that the um, the diseases have evolved so quickly because humans have changed the environment so quickly, and it's created um, new niche, niches for new types of diseases. And um, unfortunately, you know, humans are being affected in a very negative way by our own the changes that we have made to the planet. And I would like to hope that very soon um, more, you know, there will be more done to address these, these concerns. Uh, But like I said, I think we're losing time. We can't go, we don't have enough time to go back and change all these things um, to where we can reverse changes. So now we're in the mode of managing the outcomes, the mm-hmm. negative outcomes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. And that is, I mean, as you said, just getting your head around not hitting the Paris Agreement goals is, and can be, I'm just deeply disturbing, you know, like it's a really, it's a big deal. And I don't know that we, we, we all see it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, well, so maybe picking this apart a little bit, 
um, can you tell us where you think about the major areas that we have made progress so far and then the areas that we've maybe made less progress if we zoom in, I guess, a bit into sort of the different facets of our of our movement? Sure. Um, well, some of the, you know, the areas of progress, I would say, you know, especially in terms of the building um, industry, is we have developed an understanding of the psychological impacts that buildings have on the occupancy, on, on the occupants, pardon me. And this whole idea of biophilic design is really great. I love that there's been so much movement there and people understand the impacts on humans and how we can have you know, more creative discussions, um, more positive relationships, and how even financially um, organizations benefit when they incorporate biophilic design into their buildings and into their into the products that are used in, in the buildings. And, you know, so now we see buildings not just as a, you know, kind of a standalone um, structure, we see them more as a way, you know, in terms of how people interact with them and how that has an effect on the occupants. I think that's been just very eye-opening. Um, in terms of lack of progress, I think that um, buildings still have too much um, embodied carbon in terms of the materials that are used in the buildings. And I think this is this is an area that is just ripe for so much improvement. Uh, we are learning more and more about this all the time. Uh, but, you know, embodied carbon, and I'm, I'm so excited, by the way, just I have to mention that that this is now being placed on declare labels so that um, you know, consumers can understand the embodied carbon of the products that they're of their that they're interested in selecting. Um, but you know, it takes a tremendous amount of effort to figure all this out. But we have to do this. I think it's really important. And so, I would encourage all manufacturers to increase their focus on embodied carbon of their of their products and try to find ways to reduce that. So those are. I, I would say that's an area that I, I think we need to have more progress in. Yeah, it's a huge one. <laughs> and it is exciting to see how many folks are showing up for it. And um, yeah, we're really excited about getting that information on the declare labels. But it's just, yeah, even as we do that, there's like all these little layers of intricacy to how how to make that work really well. That uh, it's going to be it's going to be a fun effort. It's going to be an important effort, but also just, yeah, one of those typical ones in the world of buildings and environment, right? That are just like you dig in and then the layers of the onion just keep on peeling. Exactly. <laughs> it's much more complex than what it first appears. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Thank you for that. Um, well, uh, so much wisdom, Michelle. We, I feel like we could talk a lot more about all of the areas of work that you know, that you're focused on, but we are uh, almost out of time. And so we want to make sure we give a minute for you to tell us, um, last question, who are you most inspired by these days in terms of leaders of any kind, um, past or present, what keeps you going? Yeah, so, you know, I, 
As we mentioned earlier, I do lead an organization, um, the Women in Sustainability Leadership Awards Alumni Group, and this organization um, has now taken over um, this awards program that recognizes female leaders that are doing really great work in the world of sustainability. And we're now about 100 women strong. And I have learned so much from all the people that are involved in this organization. And I will also say that they challenge me all the time, which all of us, by the way, need to be challenged by other people wherever we are in our careers, in our lives. You know, otherwise you just quit growing. And so they definitely inspire me. Um, there is such a diverse group of women. They're involved in sustainability and many, many different types of organizations. They do different things. We have, you know, women that are inventors, uh, women that are in the transportation world, uh, women that are, you know, in consumer products. It's just such, you know, such a such an unusual, um, I, I would say, group because these are all so very seasoned uh, women professionals. So they've ha already have a track record, and I would say that this has been a very very positive endeavor for me and for the people that are involved in this organization, and we inspire and influence each other every day. That is beautiful. Um, all the layers of it are beautiful, but the people that inspire you, but also just the inspiration of being a part of a community. And thank you, Rochelle, for for taking on that, you know, additional role to to help bring people up and to uh, facilitate that. It's um, I know it, mean, it means a lot. So thank you. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been great. I'm so appreciative of, of being invited. So I, I hope that this has been beneficial for the audience and maybe it will, you know, spur some new people and into having some ideas about how they can become activists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love this. All right, everybody. The thought for the week, how can you become more of an activist? What yes. does that mean for you? <laughs> exactly. I love that. Well, uh, Kira, also lovely as always to be with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And yes, those are wonderful January inspiring thoughts. Thank you so much, Rochelle. You're welcome. All right, everyone. That is it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.